Hello, I hope that each of you are doing well. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Revelation. And today what I want to do is take just a slight detour, if you will, and focus on the subject that we've, we have been discussing for the past, I guess, week or so, the rapture. I believe the Bible teaches in Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, where it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. I believe the rapture takes place at this point. However, there are other views in regards to the timing of the rapture. Several years ago, 2012, I believe, I wrote a paper called The Doctrine of the Rapture. And in that paper, my thesis was, was to take a look at the doctrine of the rapture of the church as presented in Scripture and the various views as to when it will happen. So not arguing with whether or not it will happen, but when it will happen. And I start out with the fact of the rapture showing in Scripture where the Bible does indeed speak of the rapture. And then I went into the timing of the rapture. And I reviewed the three most popular views in regards to the timing of the rapture. And those views include what's called the post-tribulational view, the mid-tribulational view, and the pre-tribulational view. So what I want to do today is I want to start going through the views of the rapture, take just a slight detour in our study through the book of Revelation and concentrate on this subject just for a moment. So the purpose is to take a look at the doctrine of the rapture. We will look at the fact of the rapture in scripture and then the various views as to the timing of the rapture. First, we must look at the fact of the rapture. You know, many have argued that the word rapture is not even found in our English Bible. While the word rapture does not exist in our English Bible, true, the Latin word rapio does. We find this word in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 17 where it says that at the time of the rapture, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The verb for caught up in verse 17 means to seize or carry off by force. It is the notion of a sudden swoop or a force that cannot be resisted. We also see it referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, when it says, Behold, I tell you in mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Just as those in the church who are alive at the time of the rapture, there were two men in scripture who had the privilege of going to heaven without having to taste death. The first was a man by the name of Enoch. For the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Genesis chapter 5, verse number 24. Enoch was literally raptured because of his close fellowship with God. This prompted the Lord to transport Enoch directly to heaven without first having to taste death. The second was the prophet Elijah, whom the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse number 11, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, Elijah and Elisha, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 
so too our Lord did promise that he would return someday and do the same for us. It was a promise that he made in John 14, 2, when he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, in all fairness, before I proceed, there are those in the church who have denied this future event. One such man is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who asserts that the entire concept of the rapture was entirely the result of a vision that was supposed to have been given to a New Testament scholar by the name of Tragiles in 1830. Prior to that, he says that the church never accepted a teaching in this regard. However, this is not the focus of this paper, and I'm not going to dwell on that. I totally disagree with that statement. Um, and we can deal with that at a later date. But with the establishment of the fact of the rapture, we must now turn to the timing of this great event. For the past 2,000 years, there's been great disagreement and confusion in the church over this issue. Today, among those who agree that the rapture is yet a future event, there are three major views that need to be considered. All of these views agree that it's going to happen, but they disagree as to when it's going to happen. Because of my, cl my conclusion, the first of these views will be covered what is called the post-tribulational rapture. Now, this view asserts that the rapture will occur at the end of the tribulation in conjunction with the second coming of Christ or the parousia as found in Revelation chapter number 19. The second of these views is what is called the mid-tribulational view. This view asserts that the rapture will occur at the midpoint of the seven and a half year or the seven year tribulation period around the time of the Antichrist backing out of the seven year agreement or covenant with Israel. The third and final of these views is what is called the pre tribulational view. This view asserts that the rapture will occur at the close of the church age, in other words, at the end of chapter number three of the book of Revelation, and will be the event that ushers in the tribulation. And of course, this is the way that I see the rapture. Um, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation represent the church age. Church age comes to an end with the sounding of the trumpet, the rapture, the removal of the church. And that's called the pre-tribulational view. And then, of course, chapters 4 and 5 is the rapture and the interlude. And then the tribulation period starts in chapter number 6 with the opening of the first seal. So each of these views will be discussed in detail and the merits of each moving along from post-tribulational to mid-tribulational to pre-tribulational. And again, normally you'd think about it chronologically as pre-tribulational first, mid-tribulational second, post-tribulational last. But I'm going to go backward because I'm going to conclude with the pre-tribulational view. So let's go ahead and look at the post-tribulational view. The first of these views, post-tribulational, this view sees the taking up of believers after the great tribulation to meet with Christ in the air, just a few moments prior to his second coming to the earth in chapter number 19 of the book of Revelation. Now, those who support this view will go to verses like John 16, 33 as a proof text for their position where it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation. 
Now, their position would be that God has called the church to suffer and that the sufferings of the tribulational period will be just one more time of suffering that will come upon the church in God's sovereign plan, but the church will prevail. There's no doubt that God indeed promises that his church will suffer through great tribulation, tremendous persecution, and be preserved through it, no doubt. History is replete with examples of this fact, of this fox who wrote Fox's Book of Martyrs wrote, the the history of the church may almost be said to be a history of the trials and the sufferings of its members as experienced at the hands of wicked men. They would quickly add that the church was built and has been sustained with the blood of the martyrs and that the tribulation and hard times is what makes the church strong and purified and that God has promised that the church will always overcome. Thus, they will insist that the very thought of, a remo- of the removal of the church in an event called the rapture prior to the time of the Great Tribulation is what they would call escapism. They also use verses like Matthew sixteen eighteen, where Jesus said to Peter, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Another verse they will, will use is Revelation 2, 10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer, for indeed the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. Now these verses, no doubt, indicate that the church will suffer. However, there are major problems with this view that need to be addressed, the largest of which is that those who hold it are confusing persecution with wrath. The dictionary says that persecution is a program or campaign to exterminate, drive away, subjugate a people because of their religion, race, or beliefs. However, wrath is defined as strong, stern, fierce anger, deeply resentful indignation, ire, vengeance, or punishment. Obviously, there is a difference between the two. Yes, the Bible does say, that God will not allow any type of persecution to overcome and destroy the church that Christ has established and bought and paid for through his sacrificial death on the cross. But the tribulation has nothing to do with persecution. It has everything to do with the wrath of God. With that, I believe the argument loses steam. The tribulation is God's wrath being poured out on the unbelieving world with whom he gave opportunity after opportunity to accept the gift of forgiveness through faith in his son, but they would not. The time of tribulation that has come upon this earth is not about the persecution of God's people, but the wrath of God against those who persecuted God's people. Neither should it be understood as in any sense a time for disciplining believers or purifying the church. You know, some proof texts for this include Revelation 6.16, where it says, where they, during the tribulation, they say, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Again, the tribulation is a time of God's wrath, not persecution of the church. 
The book of Revelation also calls it a time of God's wrath in chapter 19, verse 15, where it says that the Lord will strike the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron, and tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Again, we see that this is a time of God's wrath on a Christ-rejecting world who at this time will be led by the Antichrist. The Bible also teaches that the children of God are not appointed to wrath that this wrath that is to be poured out during this time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is also taught in Revelation 5, 9 that we shall be saved from wrath through him. These verses seem to promise that the church will be kept from the time of wrath. Another verse that many would include would be 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here is a promise of deliverance from the time of wrath that is to come for the church. Clearly, the Bible teaches that there is a great difference between the persecutions that are inflicted upon the church from within and without in the past, the present, and even the future. This position also serves to remove, in my opinion, the imminent return of Christ. It is the imminent return of Christ that pushes and encourages the child of God to live a pure life because we have no idea when our master will return. If the rapture indeed can be determined, there would be no encouragement for the Christian to live righteous and holy life and to be constantly prepared for the time Jesus calls him. This is seen in what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 42, when he says, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour of your Lord. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So if the post-tribulational view of the rapture were correct, then we would know when the Lord's going to return. Because once the tribulation started and the Antichrist was revealed seven years later, the Bible says that the second coming, and if this view is true, the rapture will occur. Again, it removes the imminency of the return of Christ. So therefore, I reject the post-tribulational view of the rapture. Next time, we'll, we'll, we will talk about the mid-tribulational view of the rapture. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, and he is working all things out for your good.